We find ourselves in Acts at this point in our journey through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 6, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 together. This is God's word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the, depo- of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting with us so far in this worship service. We thank you for reminding us of your love and faithfulness and the intercession of Jesus Christ and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to see glorious things from your word, convict and transform, encourage, we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Sometimes you just know it when you see it. You guys know who Henry Thomas is? Nobody knows. Okay, good. Henry Thomas was the uh, main character in the movie E.T., and I'm not talking about the alien. He was the the boy, the main character in E.T., and uh, one of the things you can do on the Internet is search for his audition tape, the audition video for him auditioning to be in the movie E.T. is really powerful and so it's this grainy video and it shows him and someone off screen kind of sets the the stage and asks him to uh, you know talk about this situation and this boy uh, begins to talk and share and and he's passionate and he starts to weep and then you can hear off camera Steven Spielberg say, okay, kid, you got the job. Sometimes you know it when you see it, and sometimes you know it when you don't see it, and that's the way servant leadership is sometimes. Uh, There are so many stories and movies and shows about bad leaders, about bosses that aren't servant leaders but treat people like a commodity or a robot. All they care about is production and output, and they can't face any challenges in the workplace And when people let down these types of leaders, they are sure to let them know. Instead of training you up, they expect you to know how to do everything. And when you don't know how to do it, they attack you. 
And that kind of work environment can be exhausting or even toxic. But if there is servant leadership, it's obvious and you know it. And a servant leader is someone who's willing to listen, who's empathetic and compassionate. A servant leader comes alongside and works with the team in the project. A servant leader has concrete accountability and clear benchmarks and goals. And it is a categorically different work environment. Now we think about servant leadership and we should think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Servant leadership is explained, it's exemplified by Jesus, especially in Mark chapter 10. You remember the situation there, James and John, they, they just, just, we just want to be at your right hand and left hand in the kingdom, Jesus. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to say, you know that those who are rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the servant of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So the idea of servant leadership is at the heart of the Christian message. It's at the center of God's game plan for us from top to bottom. And in Acts chapter 6, we get a glimpse of what servant leadership looks like in the beginning of the office of deacon in the New Testament. And it's interesting, the word servant and deacon are almost the same exact word in Greek. And so they go hand in hand, servant, deacon means servant, and it's kind of like from the the Department of Redundancy Department. Servant and deacon go together. And I want you to think with me for a moment as we begin about where the church would be without deacons and without people who exhibit the spirit of diaconal servant leadership. Think about where Christians in the church and the witness of Christianity would be without the spirit-led, Christ-empowered servant leadership of deacons and Christians in the pews. Think about all the work that goes on behind the scenes, helping the hurting, caring for the poor, the outcasts, the refugees, orphans, and widows, taking care of the physical needs of the church and the church body. The office of deacon and the idea of service is so important for us, and we see it laid out here. And it's not just the next passage in Acts, but in God's good providence, we will be opening up officer nominations in May here at our church. So this isn't just a, an, an idea. It has real-world implications. And my prayer is that this will help equip us not only to serve, but to nominate and talk about and think about what it means not only for ordained officers in the church, but what it means to serve as a member of the body of Christ. So first thing we see in this passage is the need for servant leader deacons. And let's, let me help bring you up to speed. We're, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is mostly still in Jerusalem. There has been exponential growth alongside growing opposition. And next week we'll see that opposition come to a head. There, is over, there are over 5,000 people that are now members of the church, which is mostly in Jerusalem, and there's a problem. 
And actually, it's a good problem. The church is growing so fast. So many people are being added to their number daily. They've got some logistical issues. And we've all heard about organizations or businesses where their product explodes and outpaces their growth. And they, they have problems they never dreamed that they would have before. And this is actually one of those good opportunities and unexpected challenge that they have. And there's a complaint, the text tells us. There's a complaint that came from, about the daily distribution of food. And what's interesting here, there was a distribution to the widows, and what we see is that God's people instinctively knew to take care of folks that were weak and who needed help. It's a beautiful picture of, of the work of the Holy Spirit. There was this distribution, but there was a complaint by the Hellenists. And again, this is encouraging because these were people who were converted to Christianity who had a Greek background. And so we can begin to celebrate early on the multi-ethnic nature of God's kingdom. That the gospel speaks to all peoples, to all nations. We get a glimpse here of what heaven will be like with every tribe and tongue and nation and people. But some were being neglected. The Hellenists realized, look, our widows are being neglected. And conversely, the Hebrew widows are being given preferential treatment. And we don't know all the details here. It could have been an oversight, but if we're honest, and we know the human heart and we know our hearts, it's very possible that this was an act of prejudice. It's probably subtle. No one would say it out loud, but it was still wrong. We can hear it in ourselves. We can see it in others. Hey, let's take care of our people first. Let's take care of our widows because, after all, they deserve it. And we all know on paper, we all know sitting here that that is not thinking that is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't add up. It's not part of God's kingdom. And before we judge them, I think we have to be honest and open with ourselves and realize how easy it is for us to think that we're better than other people. How easy it is for prejudice to creep in, whether it's about race or education or socioeconomics or politics or anything else. And we need to remember two realities. One, people are created in the image of God. Every human being on this planet bears the indelible mark of God upon them, and therefore they are endued with dignity, and we should treat them with respect. The second is this. The gospel of Jesus is the ultimate equalizer. But the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. So we all stand before God through the blood of Jesus. So there was a problem here. But there's also a solution. And, and the details aren't mentioned in the passage, but they did acknowledge the problem. The disciples didn't say, oh, that's not happening. It's not a problem. It's not real. They called a meeting. And we don't have the details, but I imagine some people stepped forward and said, you know what? You're right. 
we were given more to the Hebrew widows than we were to the Hellenistic widows. And the solution goes on. The apostles said, we don't have the time and the energy and the bandwidth to manage the daily distribution to the widows. And so they were compelled, they were directed by the prayer and the word of God. They were, they were driven by Jesus' commission to them, you'll be my witnesses, you've got to go and teach and baptize in my name. And so they were compelled by that. And it's tempting when we read this and we read the words, it's not right that we should give up preaching to wait tables. It's tempting to think, oh man, those, those apostles were a bunch of prima donnas. They didn't want to serve. They wanted other people to do all the hard work. And I see the temptation to, to believe that, but it's just not true. The disciples of Jesus Christ gave their lives for the message of the kingdom. They were not afraid to get their hands dirty. They poured out their lives for Jesus. Because they cared about the message and the people's daily needs, they made this appeal in verse 2. They called the people. It was essentially the first congregational meeting we see in the book of Acts. And they said, choose men to serve the widows. Now, you know, there's still a need for diaconal servant leadership. And for those who serve as deacons in our church now, I hope that you understand and embrace how beautiful and good and rewarding and challenging your work is. And it's from the Lord. And this need goes beyond those who are ordained to the office of deacon. It goes to all of the opportunities that we have around us to serve and care for others. So that's the need. The second thing we see from this passage is the calling of servant leader deacons. And Acts 6 gives us a sketch of what that service looks like. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us a fuller picture. And again, it's important for us to see the congregational engagement here. All of the disciples, all the people were part of this process. Now, what are the qualifications? What, does, what do, do they say needs to be true of these people? Notice what it's not. It doesn't say, have them submit their resume with all of their service hours and all the projects they've been a part of, and then we'll consider you for uh, this office, this task. No. The most important thing was their life and their reputation and their walk with God and their character. The calling of servant leader deacons is rooted in who they are, not what they do. We think about deacons and we think about all the stuff that they do, which is incredible. But what's most important is what's precious to them. God, family, others, neighbors. What is their personal life? What does their home life look like? What is essential to who they are as people is the gospel at the heart of who they are. It's the same principle we see in Acts 20 about elders. Take care of yourself and the flock of God. And it's another thing where we know it when we see it. 
We know when we see lives that are lived in line with the gospel, not perfect, but people who are humble and willing to confess and repent and faithful, serving and leaning on Jesus. And the passage goes on to describe some of these uh, things. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is evidently working in their lives. They admit their need for King Jesus. 1 Timothy 3 talks about the fact that deacons need to hold the mystery of faith with good conscience, a clear conscience. It's way more than unlocking and locking the church or passing the offering plate. It is a spiritual calling. They need to be full of wisdom. That's what the passage says. Choose for yourself men who are full of wisdom. And think about how much wisdom they would need just for this task of the daily distribution. Think about the wisdom that we need to serve day in and day out with all the challenges and opportunities that we face. And so as we think about application here and the calling of servant leader deacons, think about yourself. Men, are you called to serve in this office? Don't think, you know, somebody else can do it or somebody else will nominate them and somebody else will take care of all this stuff. What we see here from Acts 6 is that this was a, a calling of the entire congregation to be engaged and look for people whose lifestyle is built around the gospel of Jesus Christ who are looking for opportunities to serve and grow. Jesus said, follow my lead. I mean, he's the ultimate picture of servant leadership. And whether we're ordained deacons or whether we're serving in the life of the church, this should be a growing theme in our lives, where our creativity and our prayers and our thoughts are moved toward how can we help serve and care for other people. It's interesting also that uh, in the midst of service and the calling, there are guardrails, there are boundaries. We have rest and freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so not only are we called to serve and be servant leaders, and not only are there deacons who are called to be servant leaders, but there's also the freedom to say at times, I can't help right now. And to say, to serve courageously, and sacrificially, but also to the freedom to say, I need to rest and recharge and heal. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But there's still a yoke that we carry, right? There's still a yoke on us where we're called to pull for Jesus forward. And he's gracious and compassionate and he gives us rest in the midst of our labor. This passage also highlights the blessing of servant leader deacons. Verse 7, we see the result. The apostles were free to pray and preach as they were called. The deacons were free to serve, and the message and mission of Christianity blossomed in part because of servant leader deacons. And the distribution to the widows probably wasn't the most glamorous job, but it was something that was vital. Notice what verse 7 says. We can't overlook this. The word continued to increase, in part because of what happened here. The word continued to increase, and the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests came, became obedient to the faith. 
God was working through the servant leadership of deacons, through the preached and prayerful word of the apostles. And here are a few things that I want us to see. Diaconal servant leadership is a blessing from Jesus to the church. You ever thought about how much stuff happens behind the scenes to make things go? There are a lot of servants, deacons and beyond, who work in the church, taking care of mercy needs. All of us in the body of Christ have had at least one time in our lives where we have been overwhelmed with life. And what happens? Being part of the family of God is special because in those times, somebody comes to your house and you think, how am I going to load the truck? And then 15 or 20 people swarm and help you carry your stuff out of your house or into your house. Or you're about to have a baby and you get a bunch of diapers from your friends or you've had surgery and you have more food than you know what to do with. And notes and encouragement and phone calls. See the picture? Diaconal servant leadership and the heart of servant leadership, which we all should have and pursue, is such a blessing for and to us. It's not just a blessing for us, for the church, to the church. It's a blessing from Jesus to the world. Christians and acts of kindness done because of who Jesus is and what he's done have been part of God's plan from the beginning. And not just to serve people in the church, but we're called to serve people outside of the church. And we've seen it historically. Remember stories of the early church where uh, Christians would go to the garbage dump where people would leave unwanted babies to die. And they would go and rescue them because these children are made in the image of God. It's relevant for us now when we're called to care for the poor and orphans and widows and prisoners and refugees because of who Jesus is, because of his gospel. And one of the Bible's themes is that God's heart is toward the forgotten, the weak, the marginalized. And this is directly in line with Christ's mission and message. Think about the blessing and the witness that we bear when we do acts of kindness and mercy because of Jesus carrying his message along the way. Where we help people with no expectation that they'll pay us back. It's why we're connected to ministries like Switch and Miracle Hill and Piedmont Women's Center and, and so many others. Imagine this. Imagine how confusing and confounding it would be for you to show up at the Renewal Center or at the Overcomer Center having burned your life to the ground through addiction. To hear someone say, we are so glad you're here. You're in the right place. You know God loves you. You know there's hope. I know you don't believe it now, but there's hope. Think about 
our friends at Samaritan's Purse setting up a field hospital in Central Park because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ for them. Imagine you live close to the coast and a hurricane has rolled through and there was storm surge and you had three feet of water come into your home. Everything is ruined. You don't know what to do. And these people roll up in a church van with sawzalls and uh, sledgehammers and work gloves and wheelbarrows and a casserole and an apple pie to boot. And you say, why are you doing this? What do I owe you? How could I possibly repay you? (laughs) Well, you don't owe us anything. We are doing this because Jesus Christ has done so much for us. And it is our privilege and joy to pass along his kindness and love to others. Some people believe that diaconal servant leadership is one of the things that will continue to bring credibility to Christianity and the church in a post-Christian world. Because we will, by God's grace, continue to show up and help. Even when people mock us, and they will. And people will question our motives, and people will say, oh, they're just doing that to feel good about themselves. But we know we're doing it for the Lord. It's a blessing to the world. Diaconal servant leadership is also a blessing from Jesus for the church, not just to the church, but for the church. I changed one word there, and this is the message. Sisters and brothers, you need to serve. You need to serve in order to grow. You need to serve in order to mature. You need to serve in order to remember that it's not about us and that we were created to care for people, and it can be in simple and small ways like helping to take out the trash or stack chairs and move tables on Wednesday night. It can mean offering to work in the nursery. We need nursery workers at our church. There's so many ways for us to serve our neighbors, our community, to move toward people who are different from us, to get outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes it's easier for us to write a check than to be engaged with sweat and emotional equity in people's lives. And if service is missing, then we will become atrophied and stunted. It's part of the Christian's daily diet. And when we serve people who are different from us, it gives us perspective about the struggles and the stories and the needs that they have. And this is really important for us in an increasingly polarized culture. We can move toward other people to serve them with no strings attached. So how are you serving? In the church, in the community, how could you step out of your comfort zone to serve because you've been given so, so much? See, you know it. 
when you see it. We talk about athletes who have the it factor. We've seen uh, performers who have an energy and a charisma that you cannot uh, duplicate. You see musicians who are prodigies. They have it. When we think about servant leadership, there is one man who stands out. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is our hero, and he is our savior, and his life embodies servant leadership. And you think about his birth and his baptism, his temptation, his miracles, his message, his ministry, his sacrifice, all of those things, why? For us, to serve us, so that we can be forgiven and transformed. And for both of those things, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so the first question is, have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in his work? Have you been forgiven and accepted and justified by grace? The second is, are you trusting in Jesus? Bringing him the hardness of your heart and the sins in your life and asking him to continue to transform and change and work in you. And we celebrate his saving and transforming power when we take the Lord's Supper. So may God transform us to honor Him and to glorify Him more and more through our lives as we think about being a deacon, electing, nominating deacons or elders, but also just this attitude, the spirit of service, servant leadership, which is ours. It's a privilege because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you again and thank you for your power and your majesty. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only deliver us from our sin, but you continue to transform us. Help us to be servants. Help us to follow your lead. We need help. It is counterintuitive to what we want and how we want to live by ourselves, but by your spirit, transform and change us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.